So uh, this evening, I would like to look at uh, one of the teaching which is uh, very essential and often talked about in the Son tradition in Korea. And this is uh, a reflection, a cultivation, a practice of what they call the three great quality. So the quality of great faith, the quality of great courage, and the quality of great questioning. And in a way, they have the great next to faith. They have the great next to courage. And they have great next to questioning. So in a way, it's not any kind of faith. It's not any kind of courage. It's not any kind of questioning. And if we look at great faith, what they possibly trying to point out is that when we start meditation, we might do it for all kinds of strange reasons. I mean, nowadays, it's so ubiquitous that you might feel, well, if I don't meditate, you know, I mean, I'll be the last one left. <laughs> you know, when uh, I don't do, I don't read this magazine anymore. But when I used to travel a lot, I used to read Grazia. So I would get the latest news about what was going on in England, in France. And in nearly once a month, you know, when I picked them up, you had something about mindfulness, about meditation. So, I mean, if it's in Grazia, then it's everywhere. <laughs> and in a way, we might start for all kinds of reasons. Me personally, I started because when I was very young, uh, in my teens, I was very idealistic. And I left home early and I was living freely. And I would tell myself, you know, don't be jealous, don't be egoist, don't be like this, don't be like that. And it had no effect whatsoever. And then I read uh, a friend was interested in meditation. I mean, this is in the 70s. It was rare then. And he was interested in meditation, and there was a book, the Dhammapada. And as I was reading this uh, Buddhist text, I read something of the Buddha which really kind of like stuck, kind of really. I thought, ah, he has a point. And he was saying, before you want to change other, before you try to change other, you first have to try to change yourself. And I thought, this is true. You know, I want everybody to be loving and kind and everything, and like this, like that, but if I can't do it, how can I hope uh, to inspire people to be different? And then that's when I kind of became interested in meditation and I ended up in Korea. So in a way, all kind of reason uh, we might kind of start on the path. And so at the beginning, it's more like we think, oh, this might be good for me. But I would not say it's kind of a great reason to sit all day long like you did today. <laughs> and I would say, actually, what you did today was to manifest 
great faith. Because in a way, you have great faith when you have experienced yourself. This works. This makes a difference. And I think we have great faith when suddenly we really know for ourselves, oh yeah, I don't do, do this anymore. Oh, I see this more clearly now. Oh, I really know about this some of the times. This is the thing. The great faith, we develop great faith every time we have what I would call a letting go, a de-grasping. And it's like suddenly we see something clearly. And in a way we see, I don't have to do this anymore. Or we experience for ourselves, for example, impermanence. I mean, impermanence is just saying things change. But it's very interesting how we have this tendency to think that things are going to last. And so when something, for example, is unpleasant, and I hope it was not unpleasant for you today, but it could have at times been a little unpleasant, and then you have this impression, ah, this is going to be like this the whole day, every day. How am I going to survive this retreat? I mean, for myself, I am getting a little old. I am 69, soon. So, I arrive, and I sit, and the first sitting of the first block in the morning, I was there. And I was in a dream state, like, I was like, I am not really here. Like uh, Tony talking about being present. I think I was present to my dreaming, possibly not present to here right now. And then slowly it shifted. And then the first sitting of the second block in, in the afternoon, I sat there and I endeavored not to fall from my cushion. I think it would not really kind of look very good, you know. Suddenly, <laughs> boom, the teacher kind of <laughs> is so. So I was kind of like, Phew. but I knew that it would not last. And this is something I have experienced often on retreat, that we come the first day and we have, in a way, the accumulated tiredness from the week to organize, to take the plane for me, and to arrive. And then you arrive, and the body is saying, oh, we're not doing anything. Great. Maybe I can switch off now. But if we have the great faith, if we have the great courage, which you demonstrated, I demonstrated, you just sit there. And time to time, although you do this, whoops, whoops. And then slowly, energy builds up. 
And then after my second seed was better, and then my third one, I was there, and the fourth one, we're back on track. <laughs> so in a way, you have to see that great faith is knowing that it will pass. But it's not forcing it to pass. Because often we think it should not be like this. You know, like if you think I've been sitting for a long time, but I know it is like this. Time to time I will have this seat I'm really, either there is this weird dreamy state, which I am not engineering, I'm not intending to dream, but it's just what happens. Or there is like the sleepy state. And then it passes, and then it lifts. And then there can be more brightness. So I think we have to see that great faith is actually sitting there. And also great faith is appreciating that yes, we have some experience, we have some understanding, we have some clarity. We cannot apply it all the time because it's also a biological thing. You know, if you're tired, then it's hard to be clear. But it doesn't mean that when the tiredness lifts, you will not be clear. Doesn't, you're not going to be tired, sleepy all the time. For me, the great face is also about noticing what meditation does. And I think one of the great things about the meditation, the focus, the samatha that um, Tony talked about this morning, is the fact that in a friendly manner, to whatever degree we can, we come back again and again. We come back to the breath. What was beautiful today is that we could easily come back to the sound. That's what is beautiful with the COVID situation, although it's not beautiful. But the fact that because of it, we have all the window open, which means we can really hear the birds. And so kind of the whole day we were sitting in meditation and again and again, the, the birds were like bells of mindfulness. Even in my sleepy state, ah, I could hear the birds. And every time I heard the bird and listened to them, I was present. I was open to that experience. And so I think this is something we can, in a way, use. Uh, Catherine, in two days, will talk more about this, the listening practice. But I think with the window open, it is so there that you can also, time to time, use it as a way to come back. So if, although you might start with the breath or the body or the question, if you get lost a bit, I feel you can use... Uh, sounds as a mean to reground, recenter, come back here. And every time we come back, 
Actually, what we're doing, to me, this is one of the main effects of the meditation. Every time we come back, we are not feeding repetition. We are not feeding our habits. We are not feeding the way we feel caught in certain patterns of thought, of sensation, of feeling, of relation. And in a way, what we're doing in meditation is not creating nothing. Like we're not trying to have an empty mind, but a, a metaphysical emptiness. I'll talk more about this at the end of the retreat. But what we're actually doing is bringing ourselves back to our creative functioning. And if we come back to the creative functioning of thinking, feeling, sensing, then actually we're more able to experience our creative potential. And in that way, we can have more great faith because we can experience for ourselves, oh, I can be compassionate, I can be wise, I can respond in a creatively wise way. I can be patient. And when we experience this for ourselves, then we're not, in a way, giving ourselves a hard time. I am not good enough. I can't do this. It should be like this. And then that's why we need the great courage. We need the great courage in a way to go beyond our habits, beyond our patterns. And we have many patterns that are hurtful, harmful, and very limiting to us. And to me, what was very interesting with um, the period of confinement I mean, in France, it was quite strict when it started in March uh, 2020. It suddenly, I thought, this is an extraordinary situation. And at one level now, I reflect, it's a little bit like being on retreat, in a way. It's a little bit like that. Kind of different circumstances, limiting circumstances more simple circumstances. And then suddenly, the creative potential within me said, wait a minute, we could use this opportunity to really possibly shift something. And one of the things that came to mind is, can I shift something within relationship? How am I with my partner, with my husband, Stephen Batchelor, how am I in my family, with my friends? Although, of course, like all of you, I endeavor to be kind and friendly and supportive. But when you live with somebody, how do you treat the person? How do the two people treat each other? And suddenly, I thought, Generosity. Can I be generous? And that was the intention. 
But actually what happened is that I stopped what I would call picking. You know how we kind of somebody make a mistake and you say, wait, you did this and this is not good and you should not have done it and why you did it and, you know. You know, we have a tendency if somebody make a mistake or if we make a mistake, we do the same. We pick on us. Are oh, you doing this? I mean, I mean, what did you think? I mean, why? I mean, really, you know, what's the matter with you? And suddenly I thought, yeah, let's not do it. Let's not pick. So if somebody made a mistake, if I make a mistake, okay. It happened. If it's really problematic, then how can we address it? If it's not really problematic, do you need to pick it? Actually, we don't. But you might also, I was reflecting that today as you sat in meditation, did you pick on yourself? Did you pick on others? And maybe this retreat could be the opportunity, at least for the next four days, not to do that. Can I be generous? Can I kind of, I would nearly say, give the benefit of the doubt? Let it be. Let it go. It happened, but it's finished. To me, that's what is interesting if it's not like a harmful, if it's something which is really harmful, we really have to do something. But if it's a small mistake, something you did not understand or you did not do well or whatever, it's gone. You did it and it's gone. And either you repair it, either it's okay. It just passed. So I thought this possibly could be something to work on during this retreat, to have little intention. Another intention I had was to this is enough. This to me was really kind of a little revelatory. I am not somebody for buying lots of clothes, but I am this strange type of mind which will look for the perfect cardigan. <laughs> I will not buy 10 cardigans, but there is this intention. I need to find the perfect cardigan. And then I plot it in different ways. Then I finally go to town. I spend two hours going to all the shops, extremely exhausting and generally not finding the perfect cardigan. And I do this with possibly a shirt, a cardigan, whatever. And then I realized for two years I could not do this. I could not do this whatsoever. And I discovered I had actually enough, good enough cardigan, shirt, trouser, etc. And to me it was very interesting to look at the mind, which think, hmm, but you know, if I had the perfect cardigan, you know, wow. 
this really would be something in my life. <laughs> but actually not. It's very interesting. Like, is this good enough? And I think that's what is beautiful about a retreat, is that a retreat really helps us to really appreciate simplicity. The fact that things don't have to be complicated. You don't have to think about all kinds of things all the time. I mean, you can, you might, but you don't have to. Everything is cooked for you, there is a schedule. This is something I really so enjoyed in Korea, that three months retreat, I did not need to look at have a watch. There would be a gong for everything. And that's it. You don't have to do anything complicated. Time to work, work. Time to sit, sit. Time to eat, eat. And in a way, the simplicity helps you to be more here, to really be present to what's going on, to the bird, to nature, to each other. But of course, it might also make you aware don't know what happened but suddenly I thought it might also make you aware like you have great faith you have great courage and you come here and you maybe have not been on retreat for some time and you think this is going to be fantastic and I'm going to really be able to rest and really meditate and it's really going to be simplicity, it's going to be wonderful. And then you sit in meditation. You're not sure about the way people sit or you're not sure about the way you sit or you're not sure about this, you're not sure about that. You plagued with kind of thought and memory or sleepiness. And suddenly it made me think about something which happened recently. So recently, actually, I was a bit of a, I mean, I'm generally not, but I was feeling a little like in a low mood, little we call in France, more sad. So just a little, you know, like there is a little kind of, kind of rain falling down, and you feel a little like that. And one of the reasons was because of Stephen's office. And I will teach you a new concept, which is used differently nowadays. Ghosting. I learned a new word, nothing to do with ghosting a person. But this is a building term. Ghosting. Ghosting is when you have a space and the space is a little hermetic and then outside is very cold. You put a lot of heat in that space. Then you have condensation which happen and then because of the way the building is done, the wall have places where it's warm and where it's cold. 
And on the places which are cold, like little kind of, uh, when you have metal in the boards or anything, then the condensation is going to go and transform itself in black smoke. And that's called coasting. Because it's like, it looks like, if you go to Stephen's office now, he has this kind of like, black thing coming up and a little dot black. So it's kind of like there is a ghost of what's behind in the board where it gets cold. And then you have black stuff. And we thought the black stuff came from 20 years of not cleaning enough. Because <laughs> we did not know about ghosting. So last summer, somebody came to repaint the office after 20 years. And then, six months later, it's black again. And then I realized all his bookshelf, he has hundreds of books, and all the books are black too. So there is ghosting everywhere. And then I was thinking, oh, la, 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 la. How are we going to clean this? How are we going to do this? All these books. And then I thought, well, great faith, great courage. We take two, three days and one book at a time. And this is the same here. You're sitting in meditation and you want to be really calm and bright and clear and loving, and then it's But it's like that smoky stuff is just on the surface. It's a little coldness there. <laughs> you see, the grasping, in a way, the grasping is acting a little like the coldness. And then the fumes are going to stick to that. And so it's very interesting, because not everything is black in Stephen's office, just some places. And it's a bit with us when we sit in meditation. Not everything is dark, and we're not always full of thought, or sleepy, or whatever. Sometimes we're just fine. And then, oops, it's like, up. we stick to something. And then it go, it's the fact that we stick actually make it stay there, a bit like the cold with that ghosting stuff. And so then you could say, this is terrible, this is terrible, I must not grasp. I think grasping is being human. But maybe how much do I grasp? Do I need to grasp at this right now? This is a question. I think sometimes, you know, we're sitting there and you're thinking of something which happened five years ago and why did they do this or say this and why did I do this and say this? And I mean, do I need to think about this? It's past. It's gone. 
could I come back here? Have faith in the creative function. Have the courage to listen to the bird. Anyway, through the bird, come back here. Let it pass. Let it go. It's a bit of a mystery. What am I doing? Or not doing? Sorry. But we'll continue. This is a little, we have a different type of ghosting now. And then I wanted to finish to talk about the gray questioning. So tomorrow, in the instruction, we really will go into the question. What is this? We will look at the history. We will look at how uh, we can practice it, how we can practice it in different ways. So I will really go in great detail in terms of, you know, what is this? And so here, I would like to equate a little bit the great questioning with actually vipassana. Because vipassana actually means to look deeply. So in a way, there is this idea of really meeting what's going on. But what you could say a little bit the difference with the idea of vipassana of looking deeply, and in looking deeply, it's not that you go and look for something. Because often we think, oh, you know, you hear that you must look at impermanence, you must look at imperfection, you must look at not-self or emptiness or whatever. And you might have the impression, I must look for it. Like, I must look for impermanence. I must look for imperfection. I must look for emptiness. But actually, the idea is more to experience it. Let's see. And so the idea is to experience it. I don't think I can do anything about the condition here. <laughs> Let's ignore it. So in a way, the idea is not I'm going to look for something, but I'm going to try to experience it as it happened. And to me, a, re a retreat can really help us there to really be aware in the moment how things change. How sounds change, but I think in terms of what you are doing, maybe in terms of sensations. I know it's not easy to see. I mean, for many years, I sat on the floor until my uh, uh, back uh, could not do it anymore. But as you see it, really notice that the way you experience sitting, because in the walking it's much easier, but when you sit it's so interesting that at time it's fine. You're just sitting there and it's fine. At time there is 
unpleasant sensation, but again, it's fine. And at other time, it's so painful. And then, yes, I think it's a good idea if you sit in meditation and it is really painful. Like, the thing to see that if I sit and then some discomfort comes more toward, like, after 25 minutes, then generally that is okay. You have to see if it's okay for you. But if you sit and within two minutes you are in great pain, then you really need to do something about posture or sit on a chair. So you can always bring a chair to your cushion. Yeah, uh, to, to have a chair, you don't need to be over there. If you are in front, you need a chair, you can bring a chair. And then for the talks, you can always sit on the side. So don't, it's very important that you're not, you can have some discomfort, of course, but not kind of have a pain which lasts a whole sitting. So to be very careful with that. Also, one thing to really be careful of is that when you stand up, does the pain go, like within two, three minutes? If it goes, that's fine. But if when you stand up, the pain continues, that's not fine. You really need to find, again, a different posture. And, of course, as we people have already done so, and that's wonderful, if you are sitting, we do the clapper and then you have pins and needles. Don't get up. Because sometimes people try to get up and then they fall. We don't want that. So just wait for it to pass and then when you can stand up, then you can join the line. So be very careful there. And at the same time, it's interesting that sometimes it's also a question of our mind. That sometimes it's like, there is space around the discomfort. And sometimes we feel tense, and then the discomfort is very difficult. And so in a way, just to be aware of that, just to be aware of the changing nature when there is discomfort and when there is no discomfort. I think that's so interesting as we can do the sitting, the walking. Also noticing when we do the walking, like you might feel quite sleepy, you're sitting there and, and then you hear the clapper and then you do the walking and then you come back and it's zing. I don't know if you notice, you know, for a little bit you, ah. And that's one of the reasons for the walking at an ordinary pace, is so that it kind of like when we go back to sit, we feel again this brightness. So in a way, looking deeply, being aware of impermanence, being aware of change, also being aware of your change of mood. How at times you might have really, ah, this is wonderful to be here. And then at other times, the mood might change. It's a little, hmm, a little neutral, a little weighty, a little agitated. And again, notice, oh, it's gone. Because in a way, looking deeply into impermanence is actually noticing, oh, this is gone. Oh, it's gone. The other thing is noticing when something seems to continue. 
like when a feeling continues, when a sensation continues, when a sound continues. But then if you go into the sensation or the feeling or the sound, you can generally notice that it changes within itself. And so often we have this idea, something is fixed and solid. But even something which continues, we can notice how it changes within itself. So that also can be interesting to look at over the period of the sitting, over the period of a morning, of a day, of several days. And also, and also to see, to me, the gift of impermanence. The gift of impermanence, the gift on change, is that we are not stuck. To me, actually, is what gives rise to compassion. The thing that we are not stuck, in a way, Nobody is stuck, although there can be some heavy-duty patterns. But that because of the fact that things change, either suddenly or either within themselves, then there is a possibility of change. And I think this is why it is very characteristic of the thought of the Buddha, of the teaching of the Buddha, of the meditation path, is the fact that we can work with conditions. So then the idea is to become aware of conditions by being more present to what's going on, being aware that they change, and then also sometimes helping the change. So we're not paralyzed. We're actually helping the change. What is it that can help us to be more calm, more clear, more bright? But it's not guaranteed, it's not going to be 100% all the time, but that it's more likely to be there. That's what we're working on. That it's more likely that we have this compassion, that we have this friendliness, that we have this generosity, this calm, this brightness. And also, in terms of the questioning, Personally, what I really like about the questioning is that there you're not looking for anything. You, when you ask, what is this? You're not looking for anything. But what we're trying to do is to open to uncertainty. Because in a way, that's what in a way, is life, in a way. And so at times, we can have long period of peace. And then at the moment, there is not such a period, unfortunately. And so you have time where there is pandemic, when there is war. And so to see, unfortunately, there are different forces. There are forces, I would say, for harmfulness. And there are forces uh, to benefit others. And it seems to me that when we practice meditation, 
cultivate the path, do a retreat, we're really working all together to work on this, on the possibility of goodness, of the possibility of friendliness, of wisdom, of clarity, of this creative, wise compassion. And to me also within that, within that questioning, there is this idea, like with the water, of flexibility. Of flexibility. And here I'll just give a little example of flexibility I have attained yesterday. So, I am French. And a French person can detect a draft miles away. So I am ironing in the guest room on the other side of the flat. Stephen has opened the kitchen door and I come out, hey, it's drafty here. And he said, how do you know? How can you how can you feel the draft from there to there? I just, I am French. I have that ability. But COVID, everything is open. Everything is open. And actually, it's fine. It's fine. And we have so much trouble often on retreat. People who want to close the window, people who want to open the window, and now we have no choice. And actually, it's quite nice because before I thought fresh air is bad inside. But now I think it's okay. It's okay. It's good for the brightness. So, I have made my peace with drafting. I have to keep this. So now we have actually a little time for a discussion. So if there is any question or any comments or how was a day for you, anything uh, you want to ask or comment, you can. <coughs> I think, I mean, it will become more clear through the week, but to me, uh, the way it fits is, uh, in a way, by following the model of, uh, uh, the basic model of any Buddhist meditation of <coughs> samatha and vipassana. And, and in a way, I would say that's what sold me on the practice. Uh, I went to Korea, I decided to become a nun because somebody said, if I was you, I would do it. And I thought, why not? 
I can learn a little Tai Chi, a little calligraphy, do a little meditation. So I was not great faith yet. And then I do this, you know, three months retreat. What is this? What is this? What is this? And on, on prime looking, you would think, well, this is just questioning. I mean, how, where is compassion fitting? But to me, what was very interesting is that within six months, I had an experience where I, I would say I experienced true compassion. Because since a young age, I want to, I want, when I was young, I wanted to save the world. Everybody peaceful and everything. I had kind of this heroic fantasy. And, you know, and I always thought I was really compassionate. But then actually when I sat in meditation for hours on end, one day I was sitting there and then suddenly I, I was asking, what is this, what is this? And suddenly I noticed what was in my mind. And in my mind it was, look at me, I exist, me, 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 me. And I realized, hey, this is a little self-centered, you know, not as compassionate as you thought you were. And then I uh, had an experience where I thought of the other person first before thinking of me. I, was, I went to a bank to change some money and the bank teller gave me too much money back. And my first thought was, one against the banging system, and more for me. And then I thought, but that is going to get into trouble. So I retraced my step, I gave him the money on top too much, and I felt, hey, something has shifted here. I thought about him more than I thought about me. And to me, this, I think, is what we do in meditation. Because one of the habits we have is self-centeredness. I mean, of course, if I don't think about myself, who is going to think about me? So we generally, you know, me, 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 kind of a little protecting, kind of thinking about me. And I think what happens with the practice is that the, all this meaning goes. Every time we come back to the breath, every time we listen to the sound, Every time we ask, what is this? This meaning goes a little bit down. And then we go back to the creative functioning. And one of the creative functions we have is to love, is to be friendly, is to be compassionate. And so I would say to me, once I had a friend <laughs> who was very, very fond of a certain teacher. And then she went to that center, and then she had some big difficulty. And so she went to the teacher and she said, I have this big difficulty, help me. And he said, let it go. And that's all he said. And she thought he was so uncompassionate. And I would agree with her. I would agree with her just to say, let it go, when she is in such distress. I don't think that's compassionate. To me, that's not the solution. The solution would be to crea creatively, wisely listen to the person, and first so that she really feel heard, and then see, you know, how can we uh, find a way
together through this difficulty. And so I see the practice that it be being aware of the breath, the body, the sound, doing loving kindness directly. I would say that doing the questioning is actually cultivating all the quality indirectly. But because we do the same, actually, we just focus, we come back again and again, so we dissolve those habits, come back to the creative functioning. At the same time, we are not like, what is this, what is this, what is this? That would not work. But what is this? So we're actually developing a sensation of questioning. And but we have a tendency to want certainty, to want to fix. It is like this, you are like that. But with this, what is this? To me, that's one of the gifts of the questioning, is actually it really brings this flexibility, what I would call multi-choice. And a multi-choice coming out of listening, generosity, compassion. So that's why I would, uh, that's the way I would see it working. Yes. We'll talk more about this tomorrow, but for short, uh, it depends if it suits you or not. It depends how focused you are or not. So there are three ways. There are basically three. I mean, there are many different ways to do the question. Uh, one basic way is to do it with the breath. So you breathe in, and as you breathe out, what is this? You breathe in, as you breathe out, what is this? Or you kind of ask the question as kind of like in a loop. What is this? What is this? So in a way here, you try to develop more kind of like a feel for it. Then there is a question, uh, as uh, Tony already mentioned, we don't ask it with the head. We're not like, what is this? What is this? What is it? That's not a good idea. So generally, we try to bring it into the belly and in a way nearly ask, the question with the whole body and mind. In a way, infusing the body with the question, what is this? And what is more important is actually the sensation of questioning which comes. And the sensation is a little bit like when you lost something and you don't know where it is and you think, where is this? And you have no idea. You looked everywhere. And, then, and so when you think about the thing you lost, it's like, hmm? You don't know. It's a bit similar. But for some people, I'll talk more about this tomorrow, uh, asking the question too much might not be so good. And then it's better to do it actually like um, Tony suggested. You do the breath, and in the 30 minutes, you just drop it in a little bit. But I'll talk more about it tomorrow and explain in different ways. And then this is the idea. As we go through the week, 
to kind of experiment with it, also see, does it suit you? Because I think what we have to be aware is, for example, I would say the breath doesn't suit everybody. If you are asthmatic, I would not necessarily recommend, if you're anxious or asthmatic, I would not necessarily recommend you focus on the breath. If you have tinnitus ringing in the ear, I would not recommend you focus on sound. Though with all the window open, it could be okay. But I would not recommend if you're sitting in a silent room. That's not a good idea. If you are in a lot of pain, it might not be necessarily a good idea to just do body scanning. It depends. So I think what we have to be careful is that all these techniques are tools. And on a retreat, uh, for me, what is good on a retreat is that we can experiment. So, for example, on this retreat, you can experiment with questioning and with the listening. And then see, does it suit me? Does it work? Because the intention is to develop calmness and clarity and brightness. That's the intention. And not because this is the right way to meditate, but what works? What helps you to become? What is it you can do? Makes sense to you also, something to look at. Yes. Yes, that's what I meant also. Uh, again, you have to be careful. Uh, I would say yes, one of the intentions yes, is to have the great courage to know this is okay. I can be with this. This will pass at some point. Because in a way, what I would say is that we are bigger than any one thought, any one feeling, any one sensation. But it will depend how much energy you have and how well you are and how intense it is. So if it's light, I would say yes. If it's habitual, it's interesting. When is it there? How does it feel when it's not there? How does it feel when it's there? Really knowing it. How does it feel? But when it's intense, it's so overwhelming that at one level we need to have the great courage to accept this is intense. And at the same time help ourselves, possibly by focusing on something else, like going on the breath or the sound, as a mean not to amplify. So I think we have to be a little careful with that. I am not the best person with this microphone. Anything else? If not, then uh, we can stand up and we're going to do walking meditation around the cushion until the last sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash 
donate.